Welcome to the Servant Leadership Online Training Summit, 10 Days to Better Relationships and Results, brought to you by Ken Blanchard, Barrett Kohler Publishers, and Conscious Marketer. Learn more at ServantLeadershipSummit.com. Our next speaker is Jim Blanchard. We first met when Jimmy, as chairman and CEO of Sonova's Financial, asked me to speak to his management team on the power of servant leadership. His great company was on the list of Fortune Magazine's best companies to work for so often that Fortune created a Hall of Fame with Synovus as the first inductee. Why? Because Jim and his management team were all humble servant leaders. Jimmy and I aren't related, but I would be happy to adopt him because of his caring heart. I guarantee you'll enjoy listening to him talk about his servant leadership philosophy. Welcome back to the Servant Leadership Online Training Summit. I'm Richard Tobinger, and I'm the founder of Conscious Marketer and the co-host and co-producer for the event. For our next presenter, we're going to be talking with Jim Blanchard. Um, Jim today is going to be talking to us about how the world's in great need of a, of a new leadership model, servant leadership versus uh, self-serving leadership. He's going to be telling us about uh, creating our atmosphere for, for growth, uh, how people can make a difference, uh, prioritizing within uh, an organization, and also how leaders can tell stories. Welcome, Jim. Thank you very much. I'm proud to be here, Richard. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Now, today, before we get started, Jim, we're asking everybody to uh, share their answers to the question, why servant leadership is so important in our world today? Well, I think we've had ample uh, opportunity to see the effect of self-serving leaders. And that's a bad model. It's not working in almost every sector, in the business sector, the governmental sector, the elected official sector, the uh, nonprofit even, uh, churches. Uh, the model that is working is um, leaders who want to serve and not be served. Right. And so I, we believe that it's never been more important that the new model be replicated all over the uh, universe. This is not just our country, but it's all uh, countries around the world. So it's a major, exciting topic and one that I think is uh, intensely being advocated by many, many uh, all around the globe. Well, I think you make a great point, and all of our speakers on the summit have talked about how this is the most successful model and that it actually motivates people and creates bottom line profits and it, uh, it's the right one to look for. And, and in addition to great performance, uh, you know, uh, better uh, results, it creates a satisfying workplace environment where people are fulfilled. And people that are excited and passionate and fulfilled uh, and feel appreciated certainly uh, are, are rewarded in so many, many ways. Well, let's let's dive into that. How can um, how can a leader or a servant leader create that right atmosphere for people to to grow and thrive? Well, I think that's what leaders do. Uh, they create the environment. They create the right climate, if you will, for 
people to grow, to succeed. They empower them, they train them, they equip them, they uh, treat them again with dignity and respect and appreciation and people fulfill their expectations and even beyond. And right. there's a great story that I love to tell about the man that was flying in an airplane over the desert and there was this one mile square block of green, of vegetation, there's sand all around it, right. uh, but there's plants and fruits and uh, flowers and, and just an oasis in the middle of the desert. Okay. So what they found was that uh, no, nothing had been planted there Right. Water had been applied in uh, large quantities mm -hmm. and seeds that had been there for decades, maybe even centuries, mm. uh, sprung to life. Wow. And the next thing you know, you've got this beautiful square mile in the middle of a sand desert. Right. And the analogy, of course, is that's what leaders are supposed to do. They're right. supposed to bring out the seeds, the dormancy. They're to bring out that uh, latent uh, quality and, and qualifications in people that have been maybe suppressed, maybe beaten down, maybe ignored or neglected. Right. But all of a sudden, they spring to life, and you have this beautiful team, this beautiful uh, working environment, and you have great results and satisfied employees that frankly they love to get up in the morning and come to work instead of dreading it right well i love that analogy that the seeds are laid dormant there because i think in a lot of organizations there's uh there's people with capabilities and all kinds of talents that go unused um what does it look like to start that process if you know you have this barren field and to turn the turn the ship and to create that atmosphere where you're actually watering what would be some starting points for a leader there's a whole litany of starting points but I'd probably the best place to start is effective communications uh, a shared vision uh, uh, team building where people feel like they really belong there rather than this is for them and I'm kind of uh, out on the outside looking in. Right. So uh, it literally is atmosphere building, but those leaders who are serving the workforce really have the workforce on their mind and they naturally evolve into these steps that create this beautiful oasis uh, in the middle of the desert. <laughs> well, that's, that's really powerful. So I know one of your big themes is um, treating people with dignity and respect and appreciation yeah. and uh, kind of the top-down leadership model of a coercion and control isn't working so good anymore. Can you talk to us a little about what that looks like um, for the servant leader? Things change is really where something changes in the hearts of the people. Right. And in the heart of that leader, who is the servant leader, there is this motivation yeah. to treat people right, 
to treat them with respect, admiration, appreciation, uh, inclusion, involvement, ownership. Uh, I think a, a, a good analogy is the fellow that said, I want all of my people to be wearing the t-shirt that says team. And they're sitting there wanting to get in the game and they'll play any position right. that you'll put me in, but just <laughs> let me contribute. Let me be a part of it and let me get out on the field and play. Right. Well, I know that you uh, are a partner in a private equity business, but I also know that you work a lot with uh, uh, nonprofits. And I'm not sure if there's a great place to put this in or not, but uh, you're involved with a, uh, a nonprofit that uh, serves people with addictions. Yeah. It's a prof uh, the Global Team Challenge is what that's called, right? Yes. And uh, that's an international residual program for students with addictions. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what it would mean versus a nonprofit world versus a private equity world? Because I, I think that that would be interesting for people because you, because you've done both. Um, yes. Uh, and I would say usually there's a very big difference. Right. It just so happens in our private equity and in our team challenge, uh, they're very similar in the respect of servant leadership, respect and appreciation involvement, inclusion, and uh, being on a team. Our private equity uh, doesn't go in and, and fire everybody like you <laughs> we think of as private equity. We go in and get everybody around a, a room and say, look, we want to grow this organization. We don't right. want to shrink it. We want to grow it from where we are. And we want to have more customers and we want to have more business. And we want you to be a core of a expanding workforce. Right. Uh, in Team Challenge, of course, we have staff and experts and uh, counselors who deal with the residents. But Building a team in Teen Challenge is exactly like building a team anywhere else. And right. when residents, those suffering from addiction and seeking freedom from it, are treated the same way, it's a start toward their bondage being uh, escaped. And so uh, I think these principles that apply to servant leadership really apply to any category, any sector of our economy and any country in the world. We go all over the world with Teen Challenge. The stories are identical. The people mm -hmm. wear different looking clothes. They, <laughs> they look different. They have different languages, but the stories are identical all over the world so, and it's a pretty it's a pretty large organization it's over 100 countries and uh, 122 countries wow uh 1400 centers and 35,000 residents it's the largest of its kind in the world it's faith-based yeah these people change their hearts are changed from the inside out right. and they're never the same again and we have a 70% recidivism success rate, which is really miraculous by comparison to 
the state and the secular kinds of programs. Yeah, 70% uh, success rate. That's incredible. Uh, and I would imagine that the servant leadership uh, style and the values that the organization represents is, is a, the primary factor for the, the growth and success. Is, is that true? It is. And they also receive a, a, a major uh, orientation with the faith and the provision made under our uh, faith and their hearts change for the better. Uh, I would say that probably is the primary driver of our success rate. But the servant leadership goes right along with it. Right. Uh, and, and totally compatible. Well, that leads us into your next topic, which is, um, you know, the core is that leaders truly need to believe that they can make a difference. Can you share a little bit about that, um, about what that means? Yes. Uh, you know, so many people in the world walk around thinking, you know, I just don't ever have the right, I don't have an opportunity. Uh, this other fellow always gets the promotion. Right. He seems to get the attention. Well, what we learn uh, through servant leadership is that every day you have an opportunity. Every time you stand up to speak, you have an opportunity. Every report you make, every meeting you attend. And so uh, you're always on stage. Your supervisors are evaluating you in every aspect all the time. Right. And uh, what we believe is that a smile to the right person can change their day. Uh, a frown, by the way, to the, at the wrong time in the life of a person who is under some heavy burden can, right. always, can also change a day. And I have a story on that as well I'd love to tell you, but uh, uh, Bishop Tutu, uh -huh. South Africa as a young boy was walking down the street with his mother. Okay. And the custom there incredibly was that the native, the dark skin, the African would step off the sidewalk and let the uh, Caucasian walk on the sidewalk. Right. So he's walking with his mother holding her hand and they walk and this coming down the sidewalk is this, man in this funny little hat and a funny suit. Uh, and he stepped out into the street and Bishop Tutu and his mother walked down the sidewalk and they spoke and the man tipped his hat. A good morning, young man. Good morning, uh, nice lady. And as they walked on down the sidewalk, Tutu as a little boy looked up at his mother and said, who was that? And she said, he is the local bishop. Right. And Tutu looked back at his mother and said, one day I am going to be a bishop. Huh. And of course, Bishop Tutu was one of the few that changed the landscape of the world. That's amazing. So we can make a difference. Yeah. Uh, every day we have an opportunity to change, to affect, to improve somebody's outlook, somebody's life, be an example, be a model, and change the world. So that's, what, that's the way leaders think about their daily routine.
Yeah. What would you say to somebody who feels that they're just part of the system and that they can't, because I think that that's, uh, you know, either in middle management or they're just in their local community. What would you say to them? Well, uh, there are a lot of people that feel that way. And in many cases, that's exactly what they are. Right. They're part of the system. Right. Servant leaders create an environment where they're a part of a team and they're not lost in the process. Yeah. They are valuable. They're important. They make things happen. And, you know, the, the greatest analogy is a, to me is a football team. Right. If the guard and the tackle envy the running back, then they won't <laughs> block for him. Right. And if they don't block for him, he's not a very good running back. Right. And if the quarterback wants to pass every play instead of hand the ball off to the All-American running back with great <laughs> blockers, then it's not a very good team. So we need to know our role. We need to prepare ourselves for our role. Uh, but uh, a leader will make you know that that role is critical to the success of the mission. That's great. Thank you. Um, now, the next thing that you uh, say is that leaders create their own list of priorities for their lives or families and their enterprises. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, I think it's normal. It's so often the case that particular leaders in the highest positions that have incredible responsibility. Uh, in fact, uh, many of those people pay an incredible price right. in their health, their families, their priorities. Their, they are so overburdened with the responsibilities. Right. And great leaders uh, learn how to live with that in a, in a proper way. Right. They, however they may go about the process, they establish the priorities in their life and they realize that I've got to put great emphasis on my faith. Right. I need to spend time building my spiritual muscles right. and not just in the gym with my physical muscles. Right. Great leaders know that if they fail with their family, they fail in the most important responsibility that they have right. and cannot let their work uh, destroy their family. And great leaders know that they have to keep themselves vigorous and healthy as possible, which means they take care of their bodies, they exercise, they eat properly, they don't get totally overweight. They don't let their blood pressure get out of control. So they are establishing priorities constantly that you might think take them away from their main responsibilities. Right. The truth is they are sharper, more focused, and more able when they are in a good frame of mind uh, because their priorities have been established. And I'll tell you one more story. If you, if you, if I have the time, you have plenty of time. You have all the time you need. <laughs> Good man are chopping wood. 
and one man stops every two hours and sits under a tree. And the other man is chopping like crazy and he's thinking, I'm gonna have more wood because I'm not stopping to rest. And at the end of the day, the man who stopped had more wood than the man who didn't. Right. And the man who worked all day without stopping came up to him and he said, I don't understand it. I chopped all day. You stopped just to goof off every two hours. And he said, no, I was not goofing off. I was sharpening my ax. Right. And so when we spend time in solitude, when we take care of ourselves, when we have our priorities right, it's just simple. Our ax is sharper than the person that wears it down and is just so uh, overburdened by their work that they that they miss out on the on the greatest priorities. Now you through your private equity work yes. and all the companies you've worked with, I'm sure you go into to companies and organizations and uh, this isn't the case. How do you steer a leader to understand the importance of these things in their life? And uh, what would what what advice would you give for somebody who's maybe feels trapped or caught into that or doesn't see the importance? We we say a lot of people that have not grasp those concepts and have not been trained with those concepts who do not operate in an environment where those concepts have been important. Right. And so it's part of what we do. Yeah. We help them sharpen their axes <laughs> and uh, we get great results. And most people are receptive to that message. Most people, are relieved that that's the new owners uh, are like that, that they believe that. Right. Um, and some are not, and some cannot adapt, and it's better for them to move on somewhere else and for us to yeah. put in somebody that will operate in that manner. And throughout your time, there's probably been a lot of coaching and mentoring that goes on. Can you talk a little bit about the role of uh, the mentor to develop the servant leader? And, um, you know, did, did you have a mentor? Is that something that is important to you or? Yes. I had a great mentor. He was this elder son of the family that owned the majority of the banking company. Uh, the family that had, in fact, co-founded the banking company. Okay. He uh, was a great influence on me. Yep. A lot of these concepts were uh, taught to me by my parents, mm -hmm. uh, but he was a, a strong force in mentoring me. Uh, the culture that we built in Sonovus uh, was a culture that had been started by this family, right. reinforced by this particular son. And it was really easy for me to take it from where it was when, uh, I arrived to a even greater strength within the organization. So, uh, it, uh, I, I'm a big believer in culture. Yeah. And I believe a culture uh, that includes these concepts of servant leadership and 
priorities and atmosphere and workplace environment and appreciation and all the things we've been talking about yeah. is an atmosphere and a culture that will produce uh, great results. Thank you. And um, now I know you're, you've already told a couple stories, but you're a big, uh, it sounds like you're a big uh, proponent and fan of uh, uh, the role of stories in the servant leader's life, probably uh, to teach certain lessons. Uh, how, how, what is your approach to that and how to use that as a, as a way to, to, to train and teach and grow people yeah. underneath you? Well, I think it's a proven fact in training and communication that stories are remembered more than lectures. Right. And, uh, you know, sometimes we get a little bored with a lecture and we even have, may have our mind wander in uh, the direction of our afternoon activities or something other than what we're hearing. So stories have a way of grabbing people and making points that they remember. Right. Uh, uh, and so I have a lot of them. I'm, <laughs> I love to tell them. Uh, I, I believe I'm able to tell them in a way that is not uh, preachy and it's not uh, like a uh, condescending, but it is in a way that is light and fun and healthy and people remember it and they enjoy. So, right. and that's a, that's a style that we try to teach as yeah. well because yeah. what you're doing is building that atmosphere and building that environment and, and, and building a culture. And, uh, and you may know this, but, uh, at one point, uh, fortune magazine named our company Sonovus as the number one place to work in America. And, right you know, we, we were happy about it. We were excited, but we knew when the day they announced it, that we still had a long way to go and that we could get a lot better. And, and we did. <laughs> so you can't, you, I, I believe in celebrating your successes, but I believe celebrations ought to be, ought not to last very long. <laughs> you got to get back on the uh, road toward improvement. Well, I think that that's an interesting point because, you know, you tell stories internally to teach, but also a company has its own story. And uh, what's the role of the servant leader to tell the, the external environment the story to communicate the brand and the mission of the company? Yes. Well, I think that's a big part of what the servant leader does. The servant leader appreciates history particularly the history of the company, the pioneers that took it from early beginnings to a, a higher level, built the base for us to take it to the next level. And so uh, telling stories, I think is, is really important and healthy for a culture of a company to include in a significant way the history and the pioneers and the, and the past, you don't want to dwell on it. You don't want to get bogged down in it. You <laughs> want to use it as a springboard for further improvement. Right. 
So Jim, do you have any uh, stories you'd like to share with us since you've shared how important it is to certain leaders? <laughs> yes, I'll, I have two that I'll, I'd love to share. And the first one is a man and his son who very much loved fine art. And they went all over the world uh, studying and even buying art, developed quite a uh, art collection. And uh, after 9-11, the son wanted to serve in the military. And he actually went uh, uh, in the Middle East and in battle, he was killed, and he had received uh, recognition for his bravery and actually yeah. saved the life of a number of, of fellow soldiers. Right. The man was grieving very much because he missed his son, and one day there was a knock on the door, and he went to the door, and there was a man there that had a big package. Right. And he said that uh, he was one of the men that his this man's son had saved mm -hmm. and he saved his life. And he said, I painted a portrait of him. And I know you love art and I wanted to bring this to you. And he took the paper off and there was this lovely portrait of the man's son. Wow. And the man's son became the centerpiece of his art collection. Uh, and then the man passed away right. and there was an auction for the, all the art and the great crowd of uh, art critics and collectors gathered right. and they were incredibly anxious to see the beautiful uh, portraits from some of the world's most famous artists. Right. And the uh, auctioneer started the auction and said, the first painting we will uh, auction is the painting of the man's son. Right. And it was kind of a murmuring in the audience. And uh, he said, uh, uh, the, uh, we'll start at uh, $10,000. Right. There was nobody to bring any prices up. And he said 1000 and still no offers. And uh, he said, how about 500 And then uh, a, a meek little fellow in the back of the room raised his hand. Right. And he said, uh, I'll bid $10. Right. The man was the gardener uh, that made the offer of the house and the, the man and his son had been the gardener of the, of the home. Right. And so he said, going, going, gone. He gave the, uh, and the audience by this time was incredulous. They were impatient. They were Right. Uh, really interrupting the auctioneer in this process to get on with the fine art. Right. And so at that point, the auctioneer walked off the stage and everybody started screaming to come back. We need to auction off this fine art. And he came back and he said, there was a provision in the will. Right. And the provision said that he who gets the son gets everything. Right. And he said, the auction is over. All of the art goes to the man who bought the $10 painting of his, uh, of the son. Right. And to me, that great story is a great story of Christ mm -hmm. and the son of God who 
is available to all of us. And he who takes on the son really takes on everything. Right. It's the Abrahamic covenant. It's the new covenant. It's the, the cross, uh, the healing, the deliverance, the, the salvation, life in eternity. And, uh, so anyway, it's a, well, it's my favorite story because I really believe that the provision that is made, uh, gives us everything and it's there for the taking. And it's just a question of whether we in fact do. Right. And then the second story <laughs> is a story of the, uh, young, uh, student in the university who was taking a sociology class and uh he studied all night didn't get a wink of sleep and the next day he's bounding up the steps and he looks up near the top and there's a homeless man on the steps and all the other students are kind of pushing him out of the way and rushing by him and he gets up to him he takes a hard look at him and he just said well I, i've got to get there for my test i, I can't right. stop and so he goes two or three steps and there's something that stops him and he looks back and he says, well, maybe just a moment. And he sits down and asks if he could give the man some money and could I help you in any way? And, and he looked at his clock and he'd already missed the, the test. Right. And so he went home and realized he's going to fail the test. And it was, he did help. He took the man, got him a meal. And so the next day he comes to class and the teacher walks in and he says, well, everyone in the class failed the test except Mr. John Jones. And this was the man that had stopped. Right. And John Jones raised his hand and said, no, sir, you must have that wrong because I didn't even take the test. I, I stopped and was distracted and I feel so bad, but, but I missed the test. Right. And the professor said, no, the man on the steps was the test. Right. And everybody in the class failed it, but you. So that's getting your priorities right. That's appreciating people. That's recognizing folks that can't do you a bit of good, but you still have the heart of a giver, the heart of a servant. And that's what a servant leader does. Well, thanks for sharing those two uh, powerful stories with us and sharing a bit about uh, what it means to be a servant leader. And you've lived that your whole life. So we really appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your wisdom. Now, uh, you're going to share with us a servant leadership practice. Uh, before we get to that, I just wanted to remind everybody that's listening that there is a servant leadership training kit. And what that includes is all the interviews uh, from all these servant leaders and every one of these is just packed with powerful uh, pieces of wisdom and nuggets to, to make your life and organization better. And you can get that for $297 on this page. So uh, we encourage you to do that. And now, Jim, I'm going to bring it back to you. And uh, maybe you can end by giving um, everyone on the call that's listening a servant leadership practice that you could suggest that they could implement right now. Cause it's really about action, not just about theory, but about doing something as you mentioned. Uh, 
time wouldn't permit me to give them many, but but I do have one that I would recommend. Okay. And it is a practice that, uh, I didn't dream up. I learned it from somebody else. Okay. (laughs) But in our company, we created a cultural trust committee and we changed out the people on that committee every year. So over a 20 year period, we had 20 different groups of people who served and the cultural trust committee's charge was, are we practicing what we preach? Right. Are we actually living what we believe is the culture of the company? Mm -hmm. And are we actually up to the expectations that people in the company have knowing what we say we believe? Right. And it's a great, and I went to every one of them for 20 years. Wow. And I, I, and I picked the people that I wanted to be in it. Uh, And I picked people that I thought might be skeptical about some of the things and so we had some hard uh, opinions expressed. Most of the opinions were good, supportive, and affirming. But it is a practice that I think is a great uh, uh, mechanism for a leader yeah. of, a, of a team or a division or a subsidiary or even the CEO of the whole company to make sure that you're on target and that you're not shifting away from those priorities because of the demands of the day and the stack on your desk and the, all the many, many forces that are coming at you all the time. So that's one that I would highly recommend. Well, that's, that's powerful. And given that you got the, uh, the top award for, uh, the best place to work in America and everything you've done. I think that's pretty, uh, pretty relevant. Can I ask a question? How many times would that committee meet throughout the year? That committee met, uh, every three months, every three months, okay. Quarterly times a year. And, And, uh, how many people would be on that committee? Now you had a pretty large company, so it'd have to. Yeah, it was a sizable, it was 20 people. Okay. Awesome. And and we'd have 16 or 18 there every time. People wanted to come. Right. <laughs> it was it was quite a distinction to be able to be a part of it. Okay. Well, thanks thanks Jim on behalf of the Servant Leadership Online Training Summit uh, and Ken Blanchard and Barrett Kohler and Conscious Marketer, we'd like to thank you for sharing your wisdom and spending time with us today. And thanks for everyone who's been tuning in and for making servant leadership a priority in your life and business. And we will see everyone on the next training call. Thanks again. Thanks, Jim. Thank you for attending the Servant Leadership Online Training Summit. To own the Servant Leadership Training Kit, including 40 videos, full transcripts, and over 35 speaker bonuses at a 40% discount, click the upgrade button now. This special offer is limited and available only during the summit. So act now. Thank you.